Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah. Anything to support local food. Know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there. I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway. Um, today, we're going to be talking a lot about food waste. Um, it's becoming more and more apparent today in like uh, public discourse that food waste is a very real problem. I've seen estimates most recently up to, of um, saying that we are wasting up to almost 50% of the food that we produce in this country, and uh, that's all going into the landfill. And now it's a bigger problem... Well, it's always been a pretty big problem, but um, people are starting to point to the fact that all this food waste is creating methane in the atmosphere, and so that's a big damaging environmental consequence. It's also just a clumsy, irresponsible, and uh, economically wasteful um, practice. So we're talking with a fabulous author about how to reduce food waste in the home. I'm really pleased to welcome back to the program Sherry Brooks-Vinton, who's on the line right now from California. Sherry, how are you? Hi, Kathy. Hey. So great to be on. Thanks for having me. I'm so great, grateful to have you on again. Um, your last book, which uh, came out a couple of years ago, is called Put 'em Up. So it was about home preservation. And now you are so on top of the biggest food issues today that um, your, your new book is called Eat It Up. And um, it's all about how to, it's 150 recipes to use every bit and enjoy every bite of the food that you buy. So congratulations, Sherry, for tackling this really important issue. Um, Thanks so much. You know, it is a huge issue. As you've explained, um, food waste is, is damaging in a lot of different ways, but um, eliminating food waste can be really delicious. That's absolutely true. There's a, definitely a silver lining to this that we get to, to discover all these great ways to use up every little bit of produce and um, actually uh, meat as well, which you get into. Um, but a little bit, you know, before we get into the how, let's talk a little bit more about the why and uh, what are, 
you know, what you see as the biggest challenges also to reducing food waste at every level of production to consumer to retailers and so forth. I mean, what what is causing all this waste? Is it is there a mo- is there like an area where it's most happening? Is it in the field? Is it through the cold chain? Is it a- I mean, I'm sure it's everything, but what do you think it is? Yeah, we 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 lose um food at every point of production a lot is left in the field mm-hmm. um and then through transportation and at the grocery level um we lose a lot of our food and we lose a lot of food uh, at home you know mm-hmm. we we throw out a lot of what we buy and i think um there are a number of factors that contribute to that uh one i'm trying to tackle in the book are a few of them uh one I think we have lost touch with uh, how to use our food. We okay. we've kind of lost the the cooking continuum and many people don't realize that a lot of the food they're throwing away is actually edible. I see in the farmers market all the time people um getting farmers to chop off their beet greens and and they throw them away. I actually the beet see beet greens are delicious. I know beet greens is one undersung produce item, but I've also seen people chopping off the white um, parts of the scallion and throwing that away just to use the green part. So it's it's kind of all all sorts of uh, vegetables. Um, yeah, there's all, all kinds right. of um, produce that we throw out that we could be eating. Um, and then using up everything that, that we cook as well. We often you cook a little too much um, or you leave it on your plate and, and that hits the the trash bin when really saving up those leftovers can give you such a, a, a running start on your next meal. It's uh, mm-hmm. it, get, it saves a lot of time in the kitchen. Let's um, talk a little bit about the, the initiatives going on right now. I, I think that we have a lot to applaud the Obama administration for making this a serious um, issue um, by saying that, you know, the first actual um, sort of like uh, benchmark they're aiming for is uh, the EPA, that is, um, with the Food Recovery Challenge, they're aiming for reducing food waste by 50% by 2030. And that's, you know, that could be a challenge, but at least it's creating more public awareness around the issue. Um, One thing that I find is also really interesting, and I I think you might as well, um, you definitely talk about it a bit, is um, the idea of celebrating or just eating ugly produce or imperfect-looking produce. And that seems to be a big factor in, in wasting food as well. Um, Sure. A lot of uh, food is discarded um, by retail purchasers uh, because it doesn't look the way they need they expect it to look. They want everything to be perfect for display. Um, think, a lot of food has to be sort of um, a certain size to be transported. You know, we really have turned food into widgets that have to mm-hmm. be an exact size and weight and um, specification to make it through the system. Well, that that's, you know, fine if you're a widget, but if you're a tomato, not so much because Mother Nature doesn't grow things to specification all the time. And you can have food that doesn't look exactly as you would expect, but it tastes um, even better than you could imagine. So opening up your eyes to, you know, maybe buying things that, that aren't, um, you know, the perfectly round tomato, the pepper that looks a little, you know, lopsided, those things uh, aren't indicators of freshness or flavor. Yeah, and it is a public perception campaign going on, so that's really exciting to see more folks talking about it. 
Um, so you kind of went over consumers and retailers, but you mentioned um, in the beginning about all the food that's being wasted in the field. And, you know, a lot of people might think, okay, well, that's all right because it's being sort of naturally composted. Maybe it's being fed to the pigs. But actually, the, what, I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think that um, the growing amounts of food waste in the field is troublesome and uh, unprecedented and, you know, not, not something that traditionally in agriculture we have enough use for? time you're wasting food, you're wasting natural resources. So right. leaving food behind in the field isn't just leaving the food behind. You're leaving behind all of the the, the water, the clean air, um, all the energy that went into producing that food. And it gets left in the field for a number of different reasons. Uh, sometimes it has to do with market fluctuation mm. as the cost of harvesting falls um, uh, you know, um, to a point where they can't recoup that money on the open market, then uh, sometimes it's just not worth uh, picking the, wow. the food. Okay. Um, sometimes they leave things behind because they're imperfect and they get discarded. Um, but, you know, I even see living in California now, and I drive through what they call um, the salad bowl, yeah. uh, which is... Uh, where they grow, you know, uh, um, and on a very large uh, scale, um, a lot of the produce that travels across the United States. And uh, I'm always, it always blows my mind to see, for example, a cauliflower field where they come through and they pick the heads, but they leave all the greens behind. Oh, no. And the greens... Yeah, the greens are really delicious. They're really tasty. They're nutritious. You know, it's a whole secondary crop that's just left there to rot. Uh, and that could feed a lot of people and, and feed them well. So uh, I think it's uh, changing the mindset. It's eaters creating a market and being accepting of trying new things. Um, and, and maybe try go down to your farmer's market. Things are in, like, more of a natural state there. It's easier to get your hands on these things. And once we create the market for this food, then the retailers will certainly sell it. Wow. Do you think that's the biggest cha- challenge, sort of just changing the mindset um, behind fruits and vegetables and everyday things that we let go to waste? Well, I think we've we've kind of gotten out of the habit of eating the whole of a lot of things and um, sort of just prizing one part of the plant or the animal and leaving the rest behind. For example, Mm -hmm. um, broccoli. You know, I I see in the the grocery all the time broccoli crowns. People just want the florets. Well, the, the, the florets are fine, but the stalks are delicious, too. And we've just gotten out of the habit of valuing that part of the plant. But really, if you, you peel those stalks and chop them up, they have great broccoli flavor, but they're, they're more tender than the florets. They're really delicate. They have they're almost like a cucumber texture to them. Um, so they're really a delight. So, you know, I think it's part of that is just changing our, our way of looking at broccoli. Why prize the florette over the stem? They're, they're, they're both delicious. They're just different. I kind of think they, uh, the broccoli stems taste a little bit or similar to kohlrabi to me. I mean, they're in the same family. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think of baby carrots? Now, have we, we've come so far with, um, you know, seeing baby carrots around that I, I think that a lot of the times people eschew whole carrots in favor of this uh, 
you know, sort of processed um, cut down carrot that I understand wastes a lot of uh, carrot scraps in the making. Yeah, uh, there uh, there are two sides to the carrot story. I okay. think um, yes, the, the people go for the nubbins, and it, it's a more processed food. They have to be sort of uh, shaved into that shape, and then they are also um, sold coated in a, a solution to keep them from drying mm. out okay. um, <laughs> on the shelf. So they're they're more processed, they're more expensive, and there's waste involved. On the other side, however, sometimes they um, are a good outlet for carrots that would not otherwise make it on the market. The misshapen carrot, the ugly carrot, if you will, mm. is is often you know put into that stream to be made into the carrot nubbins. Is that the reality, um, though? Do you think? Do you think that's what's, what's happening? That? Do you think that's the reality of how most baby carrots are made, or at least some of them? Some of them, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, okay. that, that's that's uh, you know a, almost a I wouldn't say a success story because there are a lot of problems in that system too. Mm-hmm. But it is an example of one thing that can be done, you know, with the ugly produce. That's pretty. Cool. I would say if we would just accept the ugly produce, <laughs> then we wouldn't need to process it so that it looked, you know, more nubbin-like. Um, but uh, there are creative solutions out there for using up some of the, the produce that uh, can't make it to market. Got it. All right. So while we're trying to like sort of reverse engineer um, public perception around how produce, you know, how we should use all parts of it, how we've forgotten it, um, how we, you know, are viewing it as like it must look perfect. Do you have any thoughts on how we got here in the first place? Was it consumers? Was it retailers? Um, was it was it farmers being picky or like do you think that's helpful for understanding how we can kind of retrace our steps and and go back to understanding like the whole parts of plants and vegetables? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a couple of different things. I think um, certainly since we've moved into this industrial agriculture system that treats um, you know food as something that. Um, is not living and vibrant uh, and and quirky and natural, and, and we expect it to just sort of be this um, stamped out sort of, uh, as I said, widget before. Um, that That's a big problem because we have um, appearance standards in, in retail marketing. That's right. Yeah, that, grade A, grade B, and so forth, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they that uh, appearance standard that is set um, is very problematic, and if that were loosened, I think that a lot more good food would make it through the pipe. Right. Um, we also grow our food to be consistently sized and shaped so that it fits into the machinery of the industrial agriculture system, and I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean literally, like... <laughs> The machines that pick and harvest and wash um, need to deal with items that are consistently shaped and sized. So only certain varieties are grown, and those are the ones that are very consistent. Are they the most flavorful? Probably not, because flavor is not um, valued in that system as much as um, consistency and durability. So it can, you know, make it from my lovely home in California, state of California, all the way across the country. Right, right. 
Wow, that's I think that's part of it. I think, you know, getting away from this industrial system would certainly help or loosening these appearance standards so that they're a little more reasonable would certainly help. But eaters can really have a lot of impact immediately without, you know, trying to reverse engineer this whole system back to something that makes more sense. And you can do that just by enjoying all the food that you bring home. Right. So following a lot of these cool recipes um, where you've used in clever ways and delicious, you know, simple ways um, how to use like the fennel fronds and stalks and so forth. Um, so that's uh, that's really cool. And thanks so much for sharing some insight on, you know, just the whole how do we got here? Because I, I wonder about that a lot. So <laughs> it's, it's good to hear from an expert. Um, let's talk more about your cool techniques about how to cook all kinds of foods um, when we come back from a little commercial interlude. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. All right, we're, ch- we're back chatting with Sherry Brooks-Vinton, the author of Eat It Up. She is also a lecturer and author of the Real Food Revival, and also Put It Up or Put 'Em Up Home Food Preservation Series. So, um, Sherry, we were just talking about how we got here with all this massive food waste, um, and you've been writing about preservation, which is also a great way to save produce in the home. Um, actually, all kinds of food. But uh, this whole book is about really going for all the. I guess naughty bits of both plants and meats. So, okay. So the easiest targets, what would you say are the easiest targets to kind of save in the home? Oh, gee. Um, there are so many. Like uh, I would fruit. say, like we said before, the broccoli stems, people usually pick mm-hmm. the pitch out. I think that's, that's, um, a very easy thing to incorporate into any recipe that uses broccoli. So start there. Okay. Um, if you're buying carrots at the market and they have the tops, those are really easy to uh, substitute as parsley in your recipes or use as you would parsley to make things um, like um, salsa verde, um, pesto, mm-hmm. or or dips or things like that. Um, blend it up with other herbs, and it tastes really good. Uh, celery leaves people throw out all the time, mm-hmm. um, and they are they have a great celery flavor. They're really lovely to have in your recipes. Uh, so those are just a, a quick some quick um, 
things on the produce side, but I would say also if I could teach eaters to do one thing that would change their lives forever, it would be how to cut up a chicken or use a whole chicken. Um, So many people buy boneless, skinless chicken breasts. And, I, you know, I'm guilty of this, too. You're in a time crunch, and it's fast, and it's easy. Um, but even if you could just once in a while roast a whole bird, you get so much more for your money. And you can get three meals out of a bird, three meals that would feed a family of four. So you get your, like, roast chicken meal um, on a Sunday. That's really nice. And then you'll have some leftovers for chicken salad chicken sandwiches and then you can make a pot of soup out of the bones in the carcass Mm -hmm. so uh, that really stretches your dollar and it's great for um, farmers because they can sell the whole chicken and not just the parts and you will also get a better quality product because um, it's easier to inspect yourself with your own eyes the quality of that chicken when you're buying chicken parts oftentimes you're buying parts from a bird that was not in great shape. So how do we know that? Because when you look at a chicken, let's say like boneless, skinless chicken breasts, um, and you're saying it's it's harder to inspect the quality of this cut, what should we be looking out for? If anything? Well, if you're buying boneless, skinless chicken breasts, you know, you, you only see what's been trimmed and presented right. to you. When you buy a whole chicken, um, you can see the, the whole the, the whole carcass of the chicken, and, and you can tell if it, you know, is well all over, you mm-hmm. know, if it has any bruising or, uh, you know, even broken bones. Um, Absolutely. That's going to be really apparent because you're looking at the whole bird. And it's easier on the farmer because it's less processing for them. So if you're buying at the farmer's market, you can get your whole chicken Um you don't have to be afraid of it. It's very easy to break down. I take you through it step by step in the book. Um, there are also lots of videos online if you need a visual reference, um, and you will just you'll get a better product and a lot more bang for your buck. That's a great point. And also, you know, pound for pound, getting a whole chicken or even just like whole drumsticks is way cheaper than these boneless, um, really like you know more processed parts. Um, that's right. They're l- going to pay for chicken, not for processing. Yes, yes. Um, I love that you talk about fat a lot. So you say you're very pro-fat and saving something, you know, like bacon fat after you fry some bacon is like this is just such a useful tool. And, um, you know, y- you can do everything from rendering lard for your pie crusts. Um, and these are really traditional techniques. I mean... When you go to, I mean, when I was in Taiwan, people are using pork fat for their stir fries, you know, just all the time. Um, And bacon fat is just so flavorful. Duck fat, roasted potatoes. Why did we stop? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh. No, I, I just, anytime I hear duck fat roasted potatoes, I, yeah, they're just, they're lovely. They're (laughs) the best roasted potatoes you're ever going to have. And, um, yeah, you're right. Why did we start? Why do we stop using this stuff? I think you know. There, if you look at the the health news every other week, you know, fat is in fashion or fat is out of fashion, and, <laughs> and people sort of bat it but back I think and forth like a tennis ball. <laughs> it's um, back in fashion. I follow traditional uh, diet 
sort of guidelines. If my grandmother was eating it, I think it's fine for me. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother grew up in the South, and they had a little, you know, dish by the side of the oven. And every time they made uh, bacon or fried something off, they would pour the grease, the drippings into the little dish, and that's what they used to cook with. I got to say, lard keeps really, really um, long, too, in your fridge. You just... uh you know, throw a mason jar lid on it, and, um, yeah, you've got fat to to stir-fry anything or, you know, scramble your eggs with. Um, Yeah, yeah. So thanks for... And the freezer, too. You can pop it in the freezer, and it'll keep even longer. Okay. So chicken, we got chicken and fat. Do you have any sort of, like, unexpected twists or or sort of more, like, you know, uh, pro-level cues that we can take... um, from this book that you want to get into or, um, you know, not the, not the low hanging fruit, then the more advanced, uh, kitchen more saving. Advanced. Well, the, yeah. the book is very approachable. Um, and I think, you know, anyone who, um, cooks or, or likes good food can get in here and find a lot of, of useful things. I do take eaters through not a full-blown OFL section. There are books out there that concentrate on on that, and they do a great job. But mm-hmm. I do talk a little bit about the, the, the bits that you normally bring home and just and pitch out. Like okay. when you do buy that whole chicken or you, you roast your Thanksgiving turkey and you get the little bag of goodies inside. Um, you don't have to just pitch those out. I go through uh, the items that are in there and mm-hmm. then how to deal with them, how to Got deal it. with that little bag of giblets. Mm. Um, so you usually have, you know, a liver in there um, and some, um, the, the heart is usually in there. And, you know, maybe these are uh, things that people are not used to cooking with, uh, but they can bring a lot of flavor to your dish particularly that Thanksgiving stuffing sure. um, or Thanksgiving gravy. Uh, and then you're, you're getting a, a little bit more flavor and value out of the food that you're bringing home. You'll never have to buy stock again. Um, okay, so <laughs> you're, you're, your book is very, very approachable. They're easy recipes, but I love some of the really clever ideas that you have. Um, so one of them is uh, using watermelon rinds, and we're seeing we're going to have a lot of watermelon rinds in our hands this summer because it's been really hot here <laughs> in New York. So <laughs> I'm really excited to try out your Thai watermelon rind salad. So this was um, how did you come up with this? This is like inspired by the green papaya salad, right? That's exactly it. I love Thai food, and I ripped off the green papaya salad and used watermelon instead. Um, Watermelon rinds, I don't know if you were told this. When I was little, my mom would say, don't eat the green part. It'll it'll give you a bellyache. Um, And that was, I don't know why she came (laughs) up with that. I don't know. She also, you know, I was formula fed. She had lots of crazy (laughs) ideas about food, I guess. Um, But the the, The the rind of the watermelon is... Uh, really tasty. It can be um, yeah. a little uh, tough, so yeah. it helps to either cook it or, or chop it, it yeah. uh, very finely. Yeah, and I can see. And in, in this salad, I use it, you know, just like you would the green papaya, which mm-hmm. is also a little toothsome um, in the in the Thai salad. I understand that the green papaya salad was invented from all the papayas that fell before they turned ripe. 
So this was already sort of invented out of a non-ideal uh, thinking, you know, so so so-called non-ideal yeah, I, I, produce. So, a, lo- a lot of the ideas in this book are really um, traditions that home cooks and chefs. Uh, because chefs will not throw out anything that can mm-hmm. be turned into a dish. They can't. They have too narrow a profit margin. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of these are ideas that our grandparents used that have been passed down from cooks through generations, and we've just kind of gotten out of the habit of using. Um, but not one, and that would might be fried green tomatoes. So... <laughs> This is such a classic, and I love that you have um, a great so little section on not just fried green tomatoes, but green tomatoes in general. So, um, you know, they're they're delicious. Uh, pickled green tomatoes, salsa verde. So swapping in mm-hmm. uh, the tom- tomatillos for uh, green tomatoes. I've never done that before. That's such a great idea. How did how did it turn out? I'm assuming good. I'm just pacing my way through the farmer's market. You know, Uh I have been a longtime supporter of local seasonal produce and trying to uh, support local farmers uh, through my food purchases. And when you're in the farmer's market, um, you know, you're just eating what's available. And the green tomatoes come before the red ones. (laughs) So um, just finding uses for those. And I love to turn things into salsas. Anything can be a salsa. And I make all kinds of fruit salsas. And so I really wanted salsa. And that's all that was available were the green tomatoes. And Mm -hmm. a little light bulb went off. Oh, well, I could just use those like I use tomatillos, which are also, you know, a little bit They're of a tangy. harder and yeah. sour mm-hmm. uh, cousin. I mean, that's a perfect replacement. I don't know why I, I don't have to hunt down tomatillos next time. So it's a really great tip. <laughs> um, so I love this. Reinvented classics um, and also just general tips and wisdom around the kitchen to save. Um is there anything else you wanted to throw in there? Um, we're about out of time, but I definitely want to thank you for all these great tips. And um, if there's any upcoming events you're doing um, or anything thank you're... Thank you. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I just really appreciate you having me on. And it's been great to work on this topic of reducing food waste. You know, it's that, that sort of... Whether you're environmentally minded or mm-hmm. um, you like a food challenge or, um, you know, you, you just want to taste some good eats, uh, there are lots of reasons to get in there and, and eat up everything that, that you buy. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. Um, we'll be following you um, at SherryBrooksVinton.com. And uh, everyone check out Eat It Up, Just Out, from the Capo Books. And uh, we'll see everyone next week on Heritage Radio Network. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Inside.